Jeff MacArthur. And with many provinces, including right here in Ontario, starting to move away from caring for COVID patients in hospital, the Canadian Medical Association reminding us all that the burden of healthcare workers is not lightening, not by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, it's increasing. Joining us now, Dr. Lika Lafontaine, president-elect of the Canadian Medical Association. Dr. Lafontaine, nice to speak again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, I understand that there was an emergency summit recently with close to 40 stakeholders. Can you tell us a bit about what was discussed? Uh, what did you hear? So that, that meeting was the second meeting of these groups that was really just talking about the, the stress and crisis that, that's current current healthcare workers across the country are kind of going through. Uh, We've obviously had a lot of stresses on everybody over the past couple of years, and that's had impacts on the types of things that people are able to do anymore. You know, every time that you have a crisis cycle over and over again, you know, an individual's ability to be resilient to that stress, you know, respond to it in the same way, uh, it shifts as well. You know, like things that used to not bother us or affect us as much as they did before, um, they affect us a lot more after going through that crisis over and over again. And this is the situation that healthcare workers are in. And from the point of view of the Canadian Medical Association and a lot of stakeholders who met, uh, we're really at a crisis situation right now. When you talk about uh, stresses, Dr. LaFontaine, what is the biggest stress when it comes to healthcare right now? Is it burnout? Is it this backlog of uh, surgeries and procedures that now need to be tackled? Is it, I don't know, all of the above? Yeah, you know, understanding health is probably easiest to understand if we just kind of look at supply and demand, right? Which I think most most listeners probably understand. You know, you have a certain demand for healthcare that stays constant, whether or not that demand is met. And then you have your supply, which is, you know, your healthcare workers, the places that they can work and access, you know, your consumables, all these other things. They, they all cost money. And what's happened over years, even before the pandemic, is we've tried to decrease our supply while keeping up with demand. You know, one of the big reasons why we had some of the worst lockdowns in the world was really because we had the least amount of hospital beds relative to the number of people in the country out of all the countries that get tracked on these lists like OECD. Um, and that, that's really starting to take a big toll on healthcare providers where they're being asked to provide more and more care that's more and more acute and stressful, but just not being given the resources that they need. And when we talk about more and more care, just how big, do we have a handle on or do we know just how big this backlog is when it comes to things like postponed surgeries and procedures, which uh, is now on the horizon as hospitalizations have come down once again uh, when it comes to COVID? It is tough to give national numbers, but we do have statements from ministries across the country that, you know, put these numbers of surgeries in like the, the range of hundreds of thousands. I mean, that's that's an enormous amount of surgery. Uh, I've listen to people who are experts in this area talk about this at meetings and you know the, the place that they say it's going to take is if you look at a time time that it would take to get through this backlog it's going to be a couple of years just for the stuff that is currently in the queue not even including new stuff that's going to come out and so governments are trying to respond to this you know increase the amount of surgeries that are done the problem is is we haven't fixed our supply problem and so the people who are around right now are being asked to do more with less to get more patients through the door. And, you know, eventually you reach a point where that's just not possible. And I think we're, we've reached that point, if not past it now. 
Yeah, and when we talk about supply and healthcare workers, the supply thereof, uh, I know there's been reports that, uh, unfortunately, because of uh, burnout, uh, exhaustion, stress, that uh, we've lost a lot of really good, capable healthcare workers over the last two years during the pandemic. Is that the biggest concern right now? The chief concern is making sure that we've got enough uh, supply uh, when it comes to healthcare professionals. So I, I think it's a mix of the absolute numbers and then also how you distribute them and treat them. You know, uh, one of the things that I think is really important to communicate about burnout is the reasons why people have burnout are not because of them. They're about the environments that we work in. You know, we've all had jobs where, you know, we've had bosses that we didn't get along with or that didn't create good working conditions. And it's tough to be in that environment day after day. And that is the environments of healthcare, you know, writ large across the country right now. Um, and so people respond to that in ways that we label burnout and other things. And they, they do lead to find better places to work because eventually everyone kind of has their, their tolerance point. But the absolute numbers and kind of how we distribute people is something that we need to think, think about as well. And getting coordination between the provinces, making sure that the federal government, especially with the increased funding that they've been talking about, you know, creates some sort of national strategy where people actually start to coordinate you know, I can only imagine what it was like as a private citizen, not just as a healthcare worker, to see the mismatch of COVID restrictions being turned off, being turned off, you know, even getting out of, you know, this pandemic near the tail end, and hopefully we don't have another wave. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit disheartening just seeing how discoordinated everybody is. You know, if we have a Canadian healthcare system, let's, let's treat it like a Canadian healthcare system. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, government, uh, provincial and federal, I know the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, we had them with us on the show yesterday. They issued a, a report on provincial debt coming out of the uh, pandemic. And the good news is it's not as bad as uh, first thought. Here's their senior economist. I want to play this clip really quickly. David McDonald, who joined us yesterday on that. Well, now the opposite is the problem. Now there's a lot of money. Uh, and the question is, how do we allocate that money? Uh, you know, do, do we spend big chunks of money on, uh, you know, forgiving people's uh, uh, license fees for, for license plates instead of staffing up at hospitals, instead of improving the quality of care, long-term care? I mean, these are the types of trade-offs now that uh, I think will become much more evident. All right. So again, I mean, that's good news is the debts aren't as big as uh, first thought. And as you just heard from uh, David McDonald, senior economist, there's lots of money. So Having said that, Dr. Lafontaine, how would you like to see some of that money uh, that is earmarked for healthcare? How would you like to see that spent? Yeah, I think there's a there's a few ways that I, I'd like to see that spent, and that the Canadian Medical Association come out with with releases talking about. But before I say that, you know, when we talk about spending money, it's really about us making choices about what we want to create as far as a society. You know, and I think the cancellation of these surgeries and the huge backlog is not an indication that things are going to get worse. It's that things are already worse. And uh, if we are going to work through this, we obviously have to pour additional monies into doing the volume of work that needs to occur. But I, I think there's foundational pieces that I'd like to see funding go into as well. You know, the federal government has talked about billions of dollars in funding with primary care. You know, I expect provinces, including Ontario, are looking towards supporting primary care, you know, really looking at that first interaction that you have with a healthcare provider, whether it's a family doc or, you know, specialist like an internist or a pediatrician or a nurse practitioner, whomever it is, um, giving them the tools that they need to actually provide you the care that you require and to know where to send you if they can't provide you the care that you need. 
um, we, we have to rethink that whole system. And so putting money into, you know, national health workforce strategies, provincial health work, uh, workforce strategies, changing the way that information is stored and shared, you know, having patients have access to their own records, being able to keep track of their own tests, you know, these are things we need to fund in addition to the volume. I think the volume is sometimes an easy place to put money because it's very readily apparent. But, you know, we put a million dollars into here and now there's, you know, a hundred, a thousand more surgeries of this type. But the reality is, is that if we want to build lasting systems that don't run into this problem over and over again, we, we have to change the foundation it's all built on. Well, let me ask you this just uh, finally, because as you uh, mentioned a few moments ago, the pandemic really did obviously expose the vulnerabilities of our healthcare system and the reason why we needed the uh, lockdowns as many and for as long as we did. Uh, what is the number one thing that the CMA thinks that uh, we really need to focus on, uh, spend on to make sure that we're never in that position again? Yeah, I think the CMA has always called for strong leadership and coordination between federal and provincial governments to have strategies around issues. You know, our, our challenges with healthcare crises is because we don't have a consistent strategy across the country. You know, calling for things like national licensure, I mean, that's really a national strategy on how we license and, and have people kind of move around the country as far as healthcare providers. And so I, I think regardless of what the crisis is, the question we all step back and ask is, you know, do we actually have a plan that explains our problems, helps us predict where they're going to be worse, and then helps us understand what factors make them more or less worse? So, yeah, that, that's that's really a call to have groups coordinate and, and make plans together instead of these silos that we've been trapped in for the past decade. All right. Well, it goes without saying these are important conversations, conversations which will continue. Dr. LaFontaine, really appreciate your time with us on this Friday. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet. Dr. Lika LaFontaine is the president-elect of the Canadian Medical Association. And we're back after this. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.